then if I pull that up. Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Hank Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keen and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're happy to have Jessica Leonard on, um, the author of Antioch, which was recently released through Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. Um, how are you doing today, Jessica? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we were excited to have you on. Um, we're huge fans of uh, Antioch, and, um, you know, if you could um, just give um, our listeners a little bit about yourself. We call it like a new kid at school speech, um, and maybe just a little bit about uh, what inspired you to uh, write Antioch. Oh, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Um, so, my name's Jessica. I'm in the fourth grade. Um, I <laughs> have... <laughs> I, I live um, in western Kentucky, so um, the small town setting of Antioch is very much based around the small town setting that I've always lived in. Um, I lead a fairly regular life, um, so I get more excited about the exciting things that my characters can do. Um, Antioch started out as a, well, it was going to be a serial for um, a magazine that bought it and then decided they weren't going to use it and then is no longer a magazine. So I in, I didn't know what to do with it, and it tried to become a short story, and it was too long, so then it became a novel. And it's just sort of been rattling around for a long time, and I was happy for it to find a home. Um, in, in my regular life, like I said, it, it's kind of regular. I am a bookstore manager at a college or, a, I guess, a university um, used to be a college and I've moved up to university recently and, you know, I just, I just sort of hang out. Nobody does anything in 2020 or now 2021 yet. So. Where, um, I'm actually in, I'm in Kentucky too, and you may not want to pinpoint, you know, exactly where you are, but, um, yeah. So oh, no. hello, hello, feather, fellow it. Southerner. <laughs> That's very exciting. I'm on the west end of Kentucky. I don't mind pinpointing, but nobody would know what I was where I'm. I live in Madisonville, but it's, oh, okay. Is that is that close to Franklin at all? No, no. Okay. <laughs> it's not really close to much of anything. Um, 
but we're about an hour away from everything else. I'm like two hours north of Nashville and I'm an hour away from Evansville, Indiana, and maybe two hours from St. Louis, but I'm not really anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Still some nice short road trips there. So that's a plus. It is. We can go anywhere we want as long as we don't mind taking a little drive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, in a way, as long as you don't have somebody who runs the risk of being in an emergency situation or something like that, it's nice to be away from. Uh, it, go ahead. No, it is. You're right, and yeah. I enjoyed the drive. My my day job, I travel an hour each way to get to work, so I have to enjoy driving. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Kind <laughs> of. Time enough to crank up and then time enough to wind down after you get done. That's kind of how I look at it. My family doesn't have to deal with any of my workday stress because I can get it all out on the ride home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad to talk to another Kentuckian. Yeah, that's very cool. I don't meet enough Kentuckians, which is strange, you know, because I live here, but it it really is true. It seems like for a while I was finding all kinds and then a lot of them moved away. So, <laughs> which in some ways you can't blame them, but you know, I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, it's one of those things. I don't think we have a state chapter of the horror writers association. Um, right. And I think it's because there's maybe three of us. I don't know. Yeah. But we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to start <laughs> seeking folks out and see if we can put that together. Cause it sounds fun. God. It would be fun. There's a lot of creepy stuff around here. Um, yes. Yeah. So I've heard, yeah. Big, <laughs> you know, Bigfoot hunters and trailers and. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the scary stuff. That's just the regular stuff. Sir. <laughs> that's just your neighbors, you know. <laughs> I, know. I don't know what it's just... like where you are, but that's regular. <laughs> oh, it's far from scary in Portland. Even the ghosts are wusses. well i'd love to um kind of talk with you some so is is so antioch is your that's your debut is that right yes antioch is my first okay um so and i know you said you were starting that as a serial do you want to talk to us some about how you you know kind of got started what your history with writing is and and that sort of thing yeah um i have really since middle school, decided that I was going to be a writer, Um, which is kind of the kind of people laugh at you a little bit in middle school when you tell them you're going to be a writer. And it took me a long time to get there, but here we are. Um, I, I wrote very consistently through college. And then life said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And I quit. And then around 2010, 2011, I started back up really with the intent for the first time to get published. I thought, God, if I could just get a short story published somewhere, then I could be satisfied. I'd be done, you know, but then I did. (laughs) And then I wanted to keep doing it. It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. (laughs) It really is. Yes. (laughs) I joined, um, I don't know if you know the website Lit Reactor. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I joined that community right when it started over there, um, and it, it's 
for people who don't know, that's an online writing community. Um, they used to have a message board, and that's kind of gone away now. But they have articles and a writing workshop that you can use. And I joined that oh, probably 2011, 2012, because I had I was writing a book at the time, which was very, very bad um, and never <laughs> is going to go anywhere. But I thought it was good, and I was going to shop that there and see if people could help me. And they did help me quite a bit. But it really got me, you know, that's where I started meeting other writers and talking to people about writing and finding out that there were ways to get published other than, you know, the the traditional publishing. And I learned about indie publishers. And um, that's kind of the source that I met Max Booth, um, who is – who does the, who's editor in chief of perpetual motion machine publishing. Um, I don't know if I met him at lit reactor. I know he writes for them, yeah. but through, through that, I, I kind of met him as well. So that was a big deal. And so it's been, you know, several years of just plugging along and writing very slowly and, and seeing what I could do. That's, Max is a, uh, Oh, sorry, Laurel. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, Max is an interesting guy. Um, yeah. And uh, he's he's uh, got a really, really good eye for fiction, though. Um, and um, he's always been that guy who will pick up something regardless of the author's experience or the, their publication history or anything, just because he sees it and knows that it's a great work of fiction and the community kind of trusts him in that area as they should. But uh, I'm randomly kind of leading up to what's it like working with a weird fucker like Max? <laughs> it, it has actually been very wonderful. Um, I could not recommend it more. He, he was not open to submissions officially when I was shopping Antioch, but I had posted something on Facebook about, my weird Amelia Earhart conspiracy theory book. And he's like, that sounds cool. Send it to me. And I was like, well, how do I send it to you? Cause I still, even though I know him, I wanted it to seem professional. You know, I wanted to send the whole, do the whole cover letter, all those things you're supposed to do. Cause I take it seriously. And I assume he does too. He runs the press. Uh, and he, so I wrote him, I said, I don't know how to send it to you. You don't have anything open for submissions. And he's like, just send it to me. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I get you. Uh, and I felt dumb, but I did it anyway. Uh, but he has been wonderful to work with. He's such a good editor. When I got his edits back, I thought, oh, Jesus. You know, it made me feel like my book was trash for a minute because there was so much, but there were such good notes that he had for me to go through and really think about why people were doing the things they were doing. And he had an eye for, you know, this is going to frustrate the readers. This is going to be something that readers are going to notice if you do this. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. He was really wonderful to work with that way. And I, I am... Well, it's my first book, so I had no idea what the process would be like, how any of this would happen. Um, so he was very kind to me in just explaining, like, okay, here's step one, here's step two, here's how we're going to do this. So that's been great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I jest about him, but Max really is a good guy, and he's a great editor. Um, there's, He's just uncanny smart, and he's got these great insights that uh, – um, I think both of those two things combined with his work ethic are why he's seen the success he's seen 
while he's still 12. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is a child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's he's a big reason why we should never compare ourselves to others because it's like great. I didn't I don't think I'd finish my degree by his age, so Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That you know, when you start comparing yourself I'd turned um thirty eight last year, which is not crazy, but it's not twelve. And so in the big <laughs> scheme of things, I'm like, well, I've missed my opportunity to be famous now. Clearly. <laughs> but <laughs> I did that too, but then I published my first work just this year at 56, so we were wrong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're never too late to become famous. Yeah, or something, you know. As far <laughs> or, as you know, concerned, infamous, right? <laughs> right. As far as my family goes, though, just having sold a story and some poems means I'm famous to them, so. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, they don't, <laughs> none, of, none of them talk to me anymore because I'm the big author. well i i have to say then okay so with my book when it first came out you could get through the publisher you could get a postcard of it said welcome to antioch very cool art by luke spooner and max put that up on um on their i don't know t public whatever where they can sell a t-shirt of it so you can get a t-shirt with the antioch postcard printed on it I bought one for my son and he's wearing it around the house today. I'm like, make sure whenever school starts back, you have to wear mommy's book shirt to school every day. (laughs) How cool you are. He's 12. He's like, no, I'm not going to be doing that. But (laughs) yeah, this is so not happening, mom. (laughs) Yeah. I'm doing this at home for you because, you know, you pay my allowance, but that's about it. (laughs) If I wear this to school, other kids will ask me questions. (laughs) they keep our egos in check so well yes absolutely i think my i was talking about a short story i submitted with my husband and my son was listening and he said what are you guys talking about i said oh it's a story you know how mommy writes stories he goes yeah, that's not interesting. And went back to oh. the show. I was like, oh. <laughs> not even three. And just coming in with these cuts. <laughs> we had last year. Well, I'm, I'm saying last year. I guess it's 2021 now. So 2019, about a month after I had found out that Max was going to be publishing the book, my son comes in and he says, is your book ever going to be published? And I was like, <laughs> Give me a break, kid. Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Sorry. <laughs> my, my, favorite, my favorite question from people like, you know, like real life people that don't really know that I write much. And they found out they're like, oh, well, is it something I would have read? I'm like, man, that is just such a loaded question. I just right. would have to know so much about your your personal yeah, yeah. life that I don't. So I'm just going to say no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say it's this book. Have you fucking read it? (laughs) I don't know. Have you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Seriousness, though. Um, Antioch, Jessica, what a what a fucking work of art that is. Um, I love that book. I said you saw I said on Twitter earlier um, how chilling it is and how much it literally makes my skin want to crawl off my body in some places, you know, and that just is just not something that happens very often with me. So 
kudos to you for that. It's a damn good story. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much that means to hear. It is very true. Yeah, that is a universal opinion here on Inkeis. So okay. I was, you know, Rich flew through it first because he's, he's our most responsible member. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's always ahead of the game. But yeah, um, I started it a little while after he finished it. And it's just the pacing is fantastic. And what you were saying about Max, you know, and his editing, like I could because I've definitely gotten those edits before. We were like, wow, why did I even submit this? Why did why? Why? Okay. Right. You know, and <laughs> yeah. you just, but there's a 12 step program that I use for dealing with um, edits and like step seven <laughs> it's alcohol and you know, it goes from there. But, um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I can really see, you know, I, I can see where in particular the way that this is crafted. And again, definitely no spoilers. Cause I think this is one that needs to be just experienced as it unveils, you know, there's so mm-hmm. much here. Um, but I can really see where that was so meticulous and how that kind of an eye would really help you know, just in, in something that is that kind of complicated and layered. So yeah. Editors like that are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of like when, when I wrote that damn story finally, and I sent it to Laurel and she sent it back to me and I was like, why don't you just say, dude, this sucks. Don't try to publish it. You know? (laughs) And then I made the changes and it's like, well, this story is pretty fucking good now. I don't hate this at all. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I tr- I try to like couch it nicely, but I'm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am curious though. Does Max bother with that, or is he just kind of like hack it at you, and and you just have to deal with yeah. your own feelings? You just have to deal with your own feelings. Yeah. He just sent me a, a whole thing with all of the edits, and you know he had some overall theme ideas, and then he sent me the list of these are the words that you use way too much. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Which I I have to so my husband, um, Sean Leonard, is my first editor. He proofreads and sometimes edits for Journal Stone Press freelance. Mm-hmm. Um and so any anytime I finish anything, it goes to him first. He sends me back his notes and then I can't talk to him about it for at least a day. Like you were saying your twelve step program, because I'm like, no, if we talk about it, I'm gonna be angry. Because I don't like your notes. But uh, it it is a very similar thing. You get it back and it's like, okay, I don't like any of this. I think it's all wrong. My husband's notes will always be like, you're being much too subtle. What you're saying is not clear enough. Nobody's going to get it. You're being too subtle. And I'll say, well, they're not my audience then. If they don't get it, they're not my audience. Sorry. And then I go back and I'm like, okay, he's, damn it, he's right. Okay, okay. <laughs> or, or in this case, Max sent it back to me and he had the same notes that my husband did. And I'm like, oh, crap, okay. <laughs> I guess it's the truth now. <laughs> well, and that's why it's, I always feel like I need to give, at, like, you know, some notes I get and they're, but I, you know, I, my thin, my skin has gotten a lot thicker as well right. over time. Um, and I'm also mean to other people. So that kind of, you know, makes it yeah. hypocritical for me to, you know, but it's one of those things where I always like let it breathe for a day because a lot of times I'll read through it and be like, no, that isn't what I meant, you know? And then later I'll be like, okay, but there's a reason they're asking. So even right. if I don't change it to what they've suggested, I need to make what I originally meant more clear. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> well, especially too if it with your husband. I feel like that's <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's, my my oh, husband yeah. once read one of my acknowledgments and that's as far as he's gotten in anything I've written. But <laughs> it's you know, in some ways that's kind of good because we don't have to have that awkward conversation. <laughs> my wife has read one of your acknowledgments too. None none of my work that I know of, but she read the acknowledgments for Crossroads. Oh, well, good. <laughs> We're making progress. Yep. <laughs> well, honestly, the face that, see, he doesn't, my husband doesn't read horror and he doesn't care for it. Uh, I mean, I feel like for good reason, yes, it, it just bothers him. So I don't want anyone to suffer, but it's like, I think I, I read him like a paragraph of something once and like the, the uncomfortable sort of almost smile on his face. I was like, please don't speak. We'll just, we're never going to do this again. I'm right. going to go. We'll just never do it again. Yeah. He's sitting there my, going, what the fuck did I marry? Oh. <laughs> and my goal as a writer is to write something that will freak out my husband. Because he, bef- before he was doing the proofreading for horror books in general, he also wrote horror movie reviews for um, a site called Horror News. And he did that for years and years and years, but he's recently taken a hiatus from that. So horror is very much his bread and butter. That's his life. And so anything I write, I'm like looking at him like, is he going to get scared? Is he going to get scared? And we haven't gotten there yet. I have not scared him yet. (laughs) But one day I will. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's uh, got thicker skin than me then because you sure have scared me. (laughs) I was gonna, well, I think part of it's because I send him bits and pieces. He never gets the whole thing at one chunk. Um, but yeah, he, he's always my my. Okay, if he thinks it's horror, then it's horror, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the it's like it's so hard to talk about this book without spoilers, you know. It's like I could talk about a lot of the symbolism in it and things like that, but it feels like everything would be a kind of a destructive force to the story as far as you know the surprise goes with this thing because just about everything is one um and but you already mentioned her so i can mention the the way you wove amelia Earhart into this story um is that it was fascinating to me and it made me wonder if you yourself have a have that interest or fascination with her like your character uh yeah very much so amelia Earhart. uh even when i was in elementary school you learn the basics of kind of about her and the idea that she just disappeared and no one ever figured it out um really stuck with me i love a good mystery so that was something i thought about for many many years and then in i don't even i think it was 2012 I saw an article saying, oh, we think we know what happened. And I started reading that and that sort of led me down the rabbit hole of there are so many different conspiracy theories and uh, ideas about things that could have happened to her from places she could have landed or was she uh, actually an American spy and all these different things. And it's very, very interesting. And I didn't have any intention of making that a novel or anything. It just, I got the idea of a woman who mishears a radio communication and a big part of the Amelia Earhart 
legacy is some misheard radio, or maybe not misheard, but some questioned uh, radio communications that could have been her last messages out into the world. Right. Right. And I thought, what a great parallel. So to begin everything, I just started um, listing as many Amelia Earhart conspiracy theories as I could find and then tried to think of ways that they would interweave with the story I was already writing. Um, and it was surprisingly easy to do. Um, and, and I've loved doing it. Throughout the process, though, every now and then friends would send me articles about, oh, they think they know what happened to Amelia Earhart. I'm like, oh, shit, if if they find out before I release the book, <laughs> the book is sunk. I'm dead. This doesn't work anymore. So luckily, <laughs> the mystery remained for at least this long. There's so many things to worry about when you're yeah. reading publications. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that, but I loved that though, the way you took that, cause I know it's, I know what you're talking about from 2020 or 2012. Um, mm-hmm. I started to say 2021. Um, and you just wove those different pieces of that, the whole, the whole shebang, because like you said, there's so many of them and the way you wove those key pieces in and out with your, your main character and her plight were just brilliant i think oh, thank you so much no question just me gushing like a fan <laughs> i appreciate it this is one i i have not had a chance to really talk to anybody about the book much because everybody kind of says the same thing like they're afraid to talk about it because they're <laughs> you know, it is a mystery I'll, I'll say that there's a mystery there's kind of a whodunit um tag in there so i definitely understand the the idea that it could be i don't think it could be spoiled but it's more fun to go along the ride not knowing yeah yeah, yeah i do too um <clears throat> and uh Sorry, I do this frequently. I lost my train of thought. Rich, you wanted to say something? Uh, no, I was just going to ask kind of um, like about the Amelia Earhart thing. Um, are there any other kind of like, cons- are you like into those kind of things, like just conspiracy theories in general? And um, I always do this. I kind of mash two questions into one. But okay. like how you were just mentioning about uh, also like how it's kind of like a mystery and just kind of how you blend like these different genre elements together was that something that you kind of set out to do or did it just kind of happen naturally from that like initial kernel of the idea Hmm. um i do think it just kind of happened naturally um let me see okay let me start with the first part i am not really a conspiracy theory person um like I said, with Amelia Earhart, I really like mysteries. So I want to solve a mystery. I have done so much research on the Zodiac Killer that it's stupid. Because I just, <laughs> I I don't want to say that I think I'll solve it. But, you know, I do think I'll solve it eventually. Um, you wouldn't be the first one who did that. so. I I really love a good mystery. It's so much fun to me to have all those pieces laid out and think about um, the the thread that's connecting all of these things together. 
Um, the different genre things, I didn't realize. I didn't realize for a very long time that what I'd written could fall into a lot of different genres. Um, but it is kind of. It, it, it does have elements of crime. It does have elements of horror. It has elements of a lot of things. I meant to write something that was just kind of ambiguous. One of my one of my favorite horror movies is Session Nine, um, where you're kind of confused the whole time as to what's happening. And I love stories. Um, also, Lake Mungo is another. It's that's a what do you call it? Mockumentary um, horror movie where things could be supernatural or things could not be supernatural, and you're not really positive what the case is. Right. And I think that's, that's super interesting. And a super good movie too. I think that last. Oh, it's one. a wonderful movie, and it's good even on a rewatch. That's what I like about that one. Even if once you know how things play out, it can still it still stands up. You still want to see it again. I exactly. love that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, and I think you did a great job, kind of you know taking that idea of like ambiguity and you know without getting too deep into the plot, but just kind of using that through yours. And that was like one of the things that I loved the most about it. Um, was just kind of how you were able to kind of take that concept and use it in your story. I think like, you know, and some of the things that happen in it, you know, this is separate, but are just, uh, they're so creepy. And like Shane and Laurel had both said, like, I think I told those guys, I was like this, when I read it, I was like, I'm glad I don't live alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It, it's just a lot of horror is thinking about what scares you and then trying to make that uh, unique in some way. I probably took a lot from a lot of different horror movies that I love and tried to mix them together. <laughs> hmm. So, oh, sorry, I keep hogging the airspace, so. No, I just, I wanted to say real quick that it was it was really effective and it's interesting to hear you say that you, you know, you kind of use those elements because it, it feels like nothing else that I've ever read. So. Oh my well, gosh. Well done you. on making that your own, you know? Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. <laughs> it's probably because I took so many different things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like any one thing. It's like 90 different things. And I shoved them together. <laughs> it made them yours. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, now, um, now you can go back to hogging. Go for it. Oh, <laughs> one of the really fascinating things, and I'd like to hear some some about your process with that. Um, if I'm if I'm covering a subject that's been partially subject, I or partially covered. I apologize. Um, your character character development. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? How you approach characters? Um, reason being just. I mean, and we all agree on this, that the characters that you have that you want people to hate, we really fucking hate. And <laughs> the ones you want us to love, I don't, I haven't heard from the others yet, but for me personally, I do very much so. So just like to hear a little bit about your process. Oh, gosh. Um, I have no idea how I do it. Um, <laughs> no, that's... 
that sounded like I was being cocky and I'm not. I, um, I think of my characters, I did a lot of character development in just a separate notebook before I started writing because, um, there is a serial killer in this book. That's no surprise from page one, there's a serial killer. And to do that, you really have to know that in advance. So I created an entire, um, profile of my serial killer in advance and all the different things going along with that. And my characters, I kind of did the same thing when I, once I figure out who a character is, I like to try and um, imagine them as an actor that I know. And then I just watch them play it the whole time. Sometimes the actor changes. That happened for me um, with the detective. He changed who he was halfway through the book. And then I had to do a real hard rewrite to get his tone the way that it really needed to be. Um but yeah, it's just kind of a lot of, of I, I use a paper notebook and I go in and I, I just write what they look like and what their interests are and who, who their friends are and why they feel the way they feel. There's a lot of backstory that goes into them that probably doesn't go into the book, but I know it. So I think that um, helps. <laughs> Absolutely. Um I think it's crucial, actually, to have such an in-depth knowledge of your characters like that, especially with the work that you created. Like you said, you know, going in, you have a serial killer and there's going to be some complexities and knowing those characters so well, they can kind of not guide you, but at least give you a good, a, you know, at least kind of inform your direction. Yeah, my characters, I... I have them ask me over and over, what's my motivation? Why would I behave this way? Um, and I know some of my characters seem like they're behaving erratically at times, but for me, it was the most natural thing. Like, well, of course this is how they react because of X, Y, and Z or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, that's a, she, she, I guess we can say your character's name is Bess. Bess, um, yeah. <laughs> um, she is uh, just, God damn it! Somebody take <laughs> it. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> She's very, um, her interactions and, and, and her reactions to things are just very authentic. Thank you, Laurel. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I, I appreciate that. Can do we get to know? Can we ask who the actor was that any of these folks were based on? I always find that interesting. I've, yeah. I've done that a few yeah. times because it helps you picture them, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the detective, for example, when it first started, it was um, Justified. Uh, Timmy Timothy Oliphant from Justified, you know. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. But uh, he changed. Like halfway through the book, I realized I was getting that all wrong. And then it was, he was um, Michael Shannon, like from The Shape of Water. <laughs> I don't know if you know that one. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then I had to go back and be like, okay, I'm, I'm playing him like he's this smooth, um, good looking guy. And really that's not what he is. He's this different sort of character. Um, not that he's like the character in Shape of Water, but he is that, that vibe to me. So that's, that's who, uh, that's who he was. Um, I'm trying to think. 
oh my gosh, there's a character named Greg, and I could, <laughs> for the life of me, I couldn't figure out anyone to to do for him. I couldn't get a tone for him, and eventually I just made him Greg Kinnear because they both had this name, Greg. And then at least <laughs> at least I could hear his voice in my head saying the dialogue so that I could go through that kind of thing. I see Greg as a young Rutger Hauer. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, I, yeah, I love that. I want him to be. I want him to be a young Rutger Hauer. <laughs> that's wonderful. Bess, um, I actually never had an actress set for Bess. She was kind of an anomaly to me in a lot of ways. As far as how she looked or talked or whatever, um, I'm I've I've thought about it since, and I'm still not sure wh- who I think Bess is, but she's something special. <laughs> she is, and I think that that is like I think that can be kind of common with your with your like narrator is to is I don't know I mean how, exactly how it works for you, but um, it sort of feels like they're their own person because they're telling the story. So I realize that too, is that like, I don't know, sometimes people ask you like, Oh, who, you know, who would you love to play the role? And I'm like, I never have a good answer for the main character. Yeah. And I think it's cause I just always see them as themselves. And also, I mean, they see themselves as themselves. So they don't really observe themselves in any meaningful way. So yeah, it's kind of, na- it feels natural to me. That's a good point. I'm going to pretend I did it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) um, The idea when I was working on Bess, I had very recently read a book by Lindsay Hunter called um, Eat Only When You're Hungry. And without getting too much into all that, but the idea of that book is you start very close to your narrator. And then as, the conclusion comes out the circle of your of the reader's consciousness widens so you see a bigger picture outside of that narrator and that's something i really wanted to bring into antioch was the idea that we're starting very very close to bess and then as things progress we get a little bit wider outside of bess and start to see things not only from her perspective um so that was a big big driving factor while I was writing it. And I think that I hope that it served well for the story. (laughs) Um, I think it served well for the mystery part of the story. I agree. agree. Yeah. And this is so, it's so interesting too, especially, and I, I always like kind of talk about how, what this, one of the, the best things that I love about this podcast is like just getting to talk to writers and like how, you know, you just learn something new from everyone's process because no one does it exactly the same way. And I just I love to see, you know, how people have approached things. And especially because, you know, this is your it's not that you're a new writer. You've been writing for quite some time, you know, but this is like your debut and how it came out and everything. So that's just it's always interesting to hear that because, again, these are all very effective methods. It it, it really just came together into a very cohesive, well-paced, excellent novel. I'm sorry, I keep gushing at you. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> go on. <laughs> this is what we do when we love somebody's book. They're damn well going to know. By the time you walk out of here, you'll shower the love off of you. 
It's like glitter. It gets everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, truly. We do love your book. Um, and, you know, typically I just lost what I was going to say again. Well, I, I can introduce a new subject that I think you also like. Yes, please. Um, I noticed uh, on some of your postings that you are into tarot. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Shane is Shane is big into it too. I've never done I've never like tried to read the cards, but I'm I'm really interested. I think it's very cool. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um I just started getting into tarot I want to say about 4 years ago. Um and for my birthday, which was in December, my husband got me a brand new deck. So it's my second deck. Um, so that's been very, very exciting. And the deck was actually created by Rachel True, um, who you might know as the actress from The Craft. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't know why that sounded familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that's her thing. But she, she put out her own tarot deck, so I just got that. And I really love it. It's so exciting. Um, it, and it's just kind of a way... Well, I use it as a way to kind of get at my own subconscious. Like, I don't think I'm necessarily reading the future when I read my cards. No, I I'm don't. Yeah, I'm using them as a tool to help me, okay, what do I already know? <laughs> what, what, what kind of knowledge do I need to bring out of my subconscious to help me through this situation? That's the same thing I do. It's kind of thought guidance for me. You know, it kind of orders my thoughts, especially the majors. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you do any reading? That's interesting because I, um, I, I didn't. Do you do any readings like for other people, or is it just you read the cards to kind of get get your get your own thoughts in order? Generally, I just read the cards for myself. I did do a reading um, for my husband and son on New Year's for the New Year kind of thing. Um, I, I don't. I'm not gonna. I, I don't think that I can do a reading because of my way of, of looking at it. But I've seen, I've read about it. And kind of when you do a reading, you have a responsibility to the person that you're doing the reading for to let, to kind of spin it to the positive almost <laughs> to kind of guide <laughs> them in a way and let them interpret it for themselves a little bit. Um, so like I did a little reading for my son for 2021. Like I said, he's 12. He just started sixth grade. So his reading very much focused on how he is becoming an adult and moving into adolescence and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's all you can kind of assign your own ideas to those cards to fit yourself. Yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. yeah. it does make sense. Um, before I forget, because I will forget, what decks do you have? Um, I have a Shadowscapes deck, and then the the Rachel True deck is called the True Heart Intuitive Tarot. Oh, and those right are my only two. I really would like to get. Um, I found it on Etsy, and I can't. I don't know the maker off the top of my head, um, but it's a deck based off of the characters of Zelda, and I'm super excited about that, and I would really <laughs> like it. Um, but that's my special little nerd secret there. <laughs> Mine is the Halloween tarot. I have I have several decks, but that one I'm lacking, and I love that deck so much. 
Oh, I bet that would be awesome. Yeah. Now, do you mean Halloween like the movie franchise or Halloween like the the, the, the holiday? holiday? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, either one sounds great to me. Right. But, <laughs> but one's a lot more specific. That question, I'm going, God, I'd really like to have that one, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I'm saying it, I'm like, ooh, can we find one that's Halloween the movie franchise? <laughs> Michael Myers is the magician. <laughs> Dr. Loomis says the fool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that perfect. <laughs> I, I read the same as you. I pull them for myself. Every now and then I do like a single card reading for like on some holiday or other. Halloween, actually, I, I pulled one for each of us, um, as did uh, Cena Palio. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I do that and I pull single cards at the beginning of the year to kind of, you know, focus my thoughts on, you know, what I want to do and where I want to go with the coming year. But it's I wouldn't call it a reading. But, yeah, know. I find it very helpful. Um, I focus a lot on the new moon. Um, and so whenever there's a new moon, I think, OK, this is a new a new start for me every single month. So I'll pull a couple cards to see. Where where do I need to go? What's my sort of what's my motivation here? Um, and it's it's a nice way to kind of focus myself for the month, I think. And I think it's actually beneficial to anybody. And I'd like your thoughts on this too. Um, anybody to to just pick up you know a simple deck like a Rider Waite or something like that and just study the symbolism in it every now and then um, without and. And honestly, if you were to ask me what you should do with that book that comes with that deck of cards, I would say you should burn that fucker. Um, it's a good I, guide early on, but go ahead. No, I, I totally understand what you mean. When I very first started, I got myself my own little notebook and I would go through each card and kind of make myself little notes based on what that little book says, but also what I interpret from it just to try and learn it. I'm very studious. <laughs> if you didn't guess from my notebook about my characters <laughs> and my notebook about my tarot, I've got a lot of little books sitting around the house. Okay. Laurel's got uh, 6,000 spreadsheets. No, yes, there we go. True. I also love a good spreadsheet. Right? So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a Kentucky thing. I knew it. I need something to make me feel in control, and this is what it is. <laughs> um. So anyway, yeah, I can talk about that subject all night long and probably everybody else is going, okay, Shane, don't fucking beat okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I was interested to get that perspective kind of, because I'm, I'm yeah. one of, mm -hmm. one of my nerdities is I love to go to Renaissance fairs. And so like commonly one of the things we'll do is go get like a tarot card reading, you know, for fun. And yeah. like some of them, you can kind of tell that people are just kind of, you know, Make what they think you might want to hear and it's kind of like gen general but i've also had ones that were like ridiculously specific mm. and incredibly accurate and then the weirdest one was one that was like stupidly accurate and then my husband came home and he has a deck and he laid out and he got to the card the exact same oh reading. my god that was weird <laughs> so i'm always interested because you know i'm like i don't I, I think it's so cool, but I don't think I have that, you know, whatever it is that folks like that have. 
uh, to be able to do that. So I, I was interested, you know, how people decided to start working with them and things like that. But that's, I mean, that's good because it makes, I don't know, it makes me feel like there's a little more autonomy to it. So yeah. I don't have yeah. that either. I, my friend Roger does that. My friend Roger has laid out several readings for me, really complex ones, and just nailed it so hard that I just wanted to go hide in the closet because it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. We, um, I used to have a company, a big annual company party, um, and they would have tarot readers come in so you could see the tarot reader if you wanted as part of the fun. And it was the same ones um, every year. And they were wonderful. They were such sweet uh, ladies that would do it. And they were not very good at it. So they would every time. But they were very nice. So I wanted them to feel good. Uh, you know, I didn't want anybody to feel bad. So, But they'd say like, oh, your mother has been ill. And I'm like, absolutely, she has, which she has not. And she, they're like, well, she's going to be okay. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much, you know. And I I just like to go with that. And it, But it's fun to do because if they're good at what they're doing, they do make you leave feeling great. They're like... They'll tell you, you know, you're the most charismatic person in the room and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, this is wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Are we all still here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was trying not to keep going on about the tarot because I know I'm too bad. I was doing the same thing, sitting here biting my tongue because it's like, well, there's a lot more to this subject if you want me to continue. (laughs) Um, I I was kind of I was curious, too, about the the shortwave radio stuff that you included. Um, Is that something that you had done uh, previously? Was that something you knew something about or was that something you researched for the book? I just researched that for the book. I knew nothing about it. And I had to do a lot of research for that, um, that I hope I will be able to apply later in life. But I, yeah, I had to Google types of, because I do tell what kind of radio she has in the book, because I thought if she's really an enthusiast, she's going to know what it is. She's going to say what it is. So I had to make sure I had that right. Um, the shortwave community, there's, I put a little bit of information about that. I didn't know any of it. Um, I added all of that. I did know about, I briefly include something about, um, I, I guess it's the Russian, the buzzer, which is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I knew about that through actually a different, another horror movie. I think it was a short and I can't remember which one it's on, but there's a, a short horror movie, part of an anthology and they have something very similar to the buzzer, but it's a real thing in Russia. There's this shortwave station that you can get. Um, and it's just like this tone, this buzzing tone. And then every now and then there's a couple words in Russian and nobody knows what it's for. And it's probably some military thing, but it's creepy. You know, it's a very odd thing that just exists out there in the world. So that was all stuff that I had to kind of find out for the book. But I didn't know any of that going into it. Very cool. That's that's some fun research to do, I would think. Yeah, it is. And I, I have a lot of respect for people that know how to do that now. Um, Bess knows Morse code and I don't. All I know is SOS because it's dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. 
because I, I figure sometime I might need that. But Beth knows all of it. So she she is much more knowledgeable than I am when it comes to the shortwave and the different kinds of communication. I know SOS also. But yeah. that's it, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I was We're all no, afraid of being lost at sea. Yeah. <laughs> I was no Boy Scout, but I do want to be able to be rescued if I get in trouble. <laughs> I guess I would just be screwed because I, I didn't know that until you guys just uh, mentioned what it was in Morse code. <laughs> well, Same. there you go. But honestly, if you're on a desert island or whatever, I don't know how you're going to get a Morse code out. I don't know how useful that is. Yeah. Today. <laughs> but well, but I can bang these rocks nice. together really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Spell it out in yeah, fish, that I might guess. Be it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the um like you were saying about kind of like that um like that uh Russian broadcast like I don't know what it is. Like you said, it probably is military, but like I've heard about like that and like the number stations and there's just something kind of like inherently creepy about like hearing something kind of like unexpected across the radio. Like I had, I had had an experience like that once, not with like shortwave, but just on like a regular uh, radio and I don't know what it was. I recorded it on my phone, but it was just like this really creepy. I don't know if it was a play or what, but it was on some random station. And it was just like the most bizarre like dialogue. And then just like this really creepy music. And like today, I don't know what it was. And like that scared me more than, you know, like a horror movie that like with like monsters and stuff, just because it was so like strange but based in reality it that is creepy i think that um radio things over the radio are inherently sort of scary because they're disembodied voices even if it's just a normal dj with the right atmosphere Mm -hmm. that could be spooky um yeah it's all very bizarre i know i've heard a lot of people stories about their baby monitors how you can pick up cell phones sometimes on a baby monitor or whatever and so they'll just hear adult voices coming through the baby monitor and it's like oh my god what is it you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are a few times when my children were very little that i went and checked their room because i heard someone talking that wasn't them and it's like no but it's nope. but it's worse. It's not worse, but it but it's pretty close to the same thing to not find anybody there because it's still really scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. I told you right that like when when Tiny was like four or five months old, David was still working third shift. Yeah. And like I was like trying to sleep, and he was you know in his room, and I heard over the monitor. I heard. I swear I heard David say. Hey, tiny buddy, how you doing? And that's what he always called him. And I was like, oh, he must be home early. And then I like rolled over and then he comes home like two hours later. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not <laughs> like, you know, I'll, I'll accept that, that it might pick up someone else, but that's uh, it's a little too specific for me. Right. <laughs> that's beyond, that's beyond just picking up a separate signal. Yeah. That's a little weird. 
<laughs> I, I had um, many years ago now, I guess my son was four. Yeah, he had to have been just four. Uh, my husband and I were watching TV in the other room, and I heard him from his room say, Mama, which was odd because that's not what he called me. I was Mommy. I was never Mama. So, But I was like, well, that's strange. So I go in there to look, and he had a, a tent over his bed. It was made for a bed. Um, so I couldn't see him. And all of a sudden, I got really afraid to like pull back that tent curtain and look because I thought this is this is a movie this yeah. is a horror movie there's going to be something evil in there but I was like well I'm his mom if he's really calling me I, I'm the only one that can check so I pull it back and he was just asleep and I have no oh. idea if he was maybe talking in his sleep or you know who knows but it was a very creepy moment <laughs> oh yeah yeah that it, it just made me think of what in the sixth sense where like he's under the tent or whatever um, and the girl like yes. rips the plant yeah that's yeah. what made me think of i was like ooh, i'd have a hard time pulling that back too <laughs> yeah i i didn't want to look and i thought well there's only two there's only so much i can do here i've got to check <laughs> it sucks yeah. when you're the adult you know you're like damn it i can't pass yeah exactly <laughs> And he was little and I was the only one at home and there was the big spider in the tub. And I'm like, crap, I know I'm the one that has to kill this big spider in the tub. <laughs> it's that kind of moment where you recognize you are the only adult. Okay. <laughs> you look around for the adults, your adults. Uh, they never yeah. show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was really, uh, I thought it was really cool too, to see, uh, that you had a, a really wonderful Paul Tremblay blurb. Um, yeah. so that is awesome. I was curious how, how that came about. That's a, that's awesome. Um, I mean, we just asked him, but I, I have, I'm going to put the word known in quotes, even though you can't see me, I've known Paul for a long time, kind of, um, Many, 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 many years ago, I hosted a podcast, co-hosted a podcast um, with a friend, and it was called uh, Books and Booze, because we said we had to drink before we did it. <laughs> and uh, it, it was right when Paul got the book deal for Head Full of Ghosts, which was his big breakout kind of big, big book. And we were like, okay, we got to try and book him, even though he's not going to want to do our crappy little podcast. But he did do our crappy little podcast. Um, and so we've kind of been friends ever since. And he talked to me, you know, as before, we couldn't have read Head Full of Ghosts yet. It wasn't out. But um, he talked to us about what it was. And I thought, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. So I've been a huge fan of him and kind of outskirts friend, you know um acquaintance friend I guess so Max told me right away that okay the first person I'm going to ask for a blurb is Paul and I was like oh well okay <laughs> I hope I hope he likes it I feel silly and Paul immediately told him you know I'll, I'll take it but I don't know if I have time because you know he's very busy and he already has stuff to do and things to read um but he he did manage to fit it in and send it back to us. And I, I'm very, very grateful that he, he took the time to that for that. Cause that kind of meant the whole world to me. He was a big, 
when I was starting out with a podcast and just trying to meet people, he was a big deal for us to have on the show. And then it's a big deal for me, for him to be on the cover of my book. So that, that was a very nice sort of full circle moment for me. Absolutely. I I love hearing that too. Cause it's, I mean, it's just, I, I know exactly what you mean. Just sending out any kind of blurb request is always sort of nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's really wonderful. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, he's, I'm sure he's crazy busy, but I, I don't, it doesn't surprise me that he had such a strong, you know, favorable reaction to the book. And I just, I'm always so happy when people are able to pay it forward some. Um, that's really great. I, I feel like he's somebody who's really good about that. Oh, he's wonderful. He is such a sweetheart. When I, like I said, we were a very small <laughs> sort of podcast. We were around for two years and we had a few notable people, bigger people who agreed to be on for us. And it was not helping them at all, but it meant all the world to us because then people would tune in and listen to us because there was somebody interesting. Um, Jack Ketchum was on very early for us. And that was nice. a big deal. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And it is. Yeah. And like I said, it, that did not help his career to be on our podcast, <laughs> but it was a really big deal to us. And, you know, that's one of those things I'll never forget him and Paul. Um, Stephen Graham Jones was one that was did that for us. There were a lot of really kind people <laughs> that came on and, and helped us early on. That's awesome. We, yeah. we, Stephen's Stevens a prince, isn't he? He is amazing. Yeah. Yes absolutely wonderful i could go on and on did you guys read um his his latest book the no good indian yeah isn't that good oh my god oh yeah (laughs) nothing he writes is like anything else that he's written and certainly not that anyone else has written yeah isn't i love that like i don't i don't know how many people can do that to have something that's just so unique every time it's amazing yeah and he does that down to every single short story and every single word he writes it's all something that he hasn't done before and if anybody else has they haven't done it like he's doing it mm-hmm. yeah yeah if anybody else has then they feel bad because then they read that one you know like, <laughs> oh, that's what i should have been doing you know <laughs> that's awesome um, but you know, you're, you're no slouch yourself though, Jessica, um, anybody who reads Antioch will agree with us. I think for the vast majority of them anyway, mm-hmm. that, uh, it is top notch horror. It's, it's definitely something you buy off the top shelf. Oh, thank you so much. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I really do appreciate it. Um, I keep saying that over and over, but it's because it's true. <laughs> I can't tell you how, how good that is to hear. Um, as it got closer and closer to release date on this book, I thought, oh, God, what if Max was stupid and this book is bad? <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> what There's if this the episode was a title horrible right there. choice? Uh, yeah. What if Max was stupid? That's the episode. <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time Max fucked up and published a bad book, but this won't be it. (laughs) I'm kidding, Max. Kidding, Max. I know you can eviscerate me with your tongue, so leave me alone. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. 
We can. <laughs> I I think I I held back on Twitter quite a few times from saying like my book's about to come out and I'm afraid it might be bad and, and I, <laughs> my husband's like you can't say that that's not marketing I'm like oh no okay <laughs> <laughs> I got that one, I got that from one of the pieces I published that I said hey there's a bunch of great writers in this and me yeah. <laughs> and the editor emailed me and said dude that's not selling any books for me you know <laughs> this is not marketing i that's one of the things i realized was my biggest weakness going into a debut if i can give anyone any advice about their first book it's um try to be better at marketing yourself i have not it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to feel like you want to say something good about yourself. I don't think people who grow up to be writers are good at saying that they're great at stuff. You know? uh, not at all. And uh, I mean, because a lot of us got beat up all the way through high school, so we don't have a lot of self-esteem anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, the thing. And I'm preaching something that I'm bad at practicing is just telling that imposter inside you to shut the hell up and accepting that you did something decent. I, yeah, I would say that's the, the greatest advice. Mm-hmm. Not that I take it, mind you, but it is good <laughs> advice. Give it to other people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if anyone's here for the advice, that is it. <laughs> Believe in yourself. <laughs> I think it was Laurel. I don't remember who it was who told me because, you know, we've had so many awesome guests on here that that told me, you know, as long as you're writing something that you enjoy and that you want to read, then fuck it. There's no bad words. That was Damien Angelica Walters. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. She's she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what she said. There's no such thing as a bad word. Every every word you put down makes you better. So even if you never do anything with that work, you did something with those words. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I very much agree with that. I've I have so Antioch's my first published book. It's my third book that I have written. <laughs> um, the other two weren't weren't ready for this world, but there's still books that exist for me and, and, you know, one day I can show those to other people and maybe they'll care, but always write your story, even if it just exists only for yourself, because that's still worth it. Yeah. And all the best authors generally tell people the same thing, write for yourself, not anybody else. Um, but uh, that leads up to a, another good question, and that is, this is exceptionally important. Um, what else are you going to release for us soon? Nothing, <laughs> 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 um, I do not have any current release plans. Um, I'm working on another book right now, um, very early stages, but I, I am working on that. Um, and hopefully one day we'll get there. But right now I don't have anything else to plug. Cool. But what about you said you've you've published short stories. I have. Um where can people read those? Um I'm trying to think what the most 
recent, gosh, it's been a while. So I have one with a site called Menacing Hedge. Um, it is a very different sort of story. It's not horror necessarily, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> it's very domestic horror. Um, I have a couple of anthologies um, that I'm included in put out by a group called Solar Side, and those can be found anywhere fine books are sold. Amazon. Um I'm trying to think of the name of the one. It's Solarcidal Tendencies, like suicidal tendencies. Mm. And it's one of probably one of my best stories ever. And it's a very like it did not get much press with its release. I'll say that it, it's an older anthology now, but it it's a really good um, collection, I think. So if anybody's That's interested in in some. A story I wrote actually about postpartum depression. Um, that that's in that one. That one. That's the, you said. That's the solar side one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's in that. It's the tat. The subtitle is "Flash Me: The Synthology." So I mean, that alone <laughs> just makes it sound amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. Sorry, I uh, tend to. And they are the company too, aren't they? Solar Side. Yeah, Solar Side is. Yeah. The, yeah, it's. Um, I'm trying to think of his last name. Martin and Nathan do it, and I can't think of. Oh, Martin Garrity and Nathan Pettigrew are the guys that put that together, oh. and um, did a wonderful job of I've, selecting some interesting work. I've heard of Nathan before. I, I haven't heard of Martin. But uh, I'm sure if they if they published your work, they're probably publishing some good work. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> I can't say that. You tell me that, and I'm gonna probably say naughty things and hang up. Oh gosh, no, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> well, well I, I will be really excited to hear. Um, you know, about what you're working on now, but I will refrain from being like, when's it going to be? Because I totally, right. yeah, I understand. There's a lot, there's a lot oh. going on there, but. I always have to bite my tongue. What is it? What's it about? I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, I, I will say that it is about um, a small town, uh, but um, specifically a small town um, church with some dark secrets. Uh, yeah, that's that's where we're going with that. <laughs> I like it already. All right. <laughs> I decided, you know, Antioch deals with a couple uh, Christian mythology things and yeah. a very odd uh, Bible study scene. Yeah. And I decided I wasn't done with that sort of theme. So I'm diving a little deeper there. <laughs> And really, though, what church doesn't have dark secrets? I mean, they're churches, for fuck's sake. Exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, especially you guys in the South and Kentucky, places like that, those churches scare the fuck out of me. You have some really good <laughs> material to play off of there. Oh, well, <laughs> bless our hearts. There are some, <laughs> some interesting things that you can find. Now, uh, most of it's run-of-the-mill, but there are some... You know, even the kindest church, I think, 
has some things that you don't realize how they can cool. mess you up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, I I grew up in a Methodist church, and everyone there was very very nice. I'm no longer I no longer consider myself Christian. I don't attend a church, but um, they were very very nice, and I always thought, well, you know, I was lucky. I had a very positive um, experience with that. Good for me, you know. And it wasn't until much later in life I realized, like, well, actually, they kind of taught me not to like anything that I achieved. I wasn't allowed to feel proud of because I had to say, well, somebody else actually gave me that or, you know, all those sort of things that sort of undermined your own self-confidence. But you didn't really realize out of the bat. Right. And like (laughs) when you were when you were five years old and the preacher said, if you don't if you're not good, you're going to burn in hell. How much did that fuck with you? You know, <laughs> I, I will say I did not go to that kind of church. I didn't have that experience, but I, my great grandmother now. Okay. I, when I say great grandmother, let me tell you, my great grandmother lived to be 101 years old. Um, so I knew her very well, but she did attend one of those churches and we would go visit her there sometimes. And that was terrifying to me. Yes. Yeah. Um, they had one of those preachers that would scream and yell, and it was all about, you're going to hell. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be too uh, subversive here or whatever, but. <laughs> you know, another Kentuckian, Todd Kiesling, every time he comes on here, God hates us a little more. So. <laughs> if I was raised in Todd Kiesling's church, though, I'm pretty sure I'd feel the same way. Yeah, no like, I'm, I'm like you. I was I was raised in a church that was fairly progressive. It's funny because it's like a Presbyterian church and the building itself is like 200, 300 years old. It's, you'd think it'd be really stodgy. And in some ways it is. But they they were really just not like that. It wasn't fire and brimstone. Right. You know, it was and and the pastor I, I grew up with, like, was very good at, like, encouraging, questioning. So. I, I don't care what anyone else believes, you know, like I, I don't think anyone's going to hell for anything. I don't even believe in hell. Um, right. So it's one of those things where it's like I, when people tell me those experiences, I was like, I completely support your feelings because, well, you know, telling kids that kind of stuff will screw them up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, my first pastor in my church was a woman. So, you know, it, it was a very progressive type kind of thing. I never had that growing up that I couldn't do it or whatever, but I know that other people do and hearing those things like, Oh boy, I am so sorry that you had that experience. That's terrifying. I had all of my church experience before there was ever a female preacher in the Christian religion anywhere. So, I mean, that was a fairly new thing when I was in my probably thirties, forties. Oh, wow. At least out here it was. You and you know now out here, that's probably every other church has a has a female pastor or preacher or something. So you know, good for them, I guess. Yeah, it's one of those things where I can't ever. If somebody has had a very good uh, experience with whatever their church is and their religion is, I understand that you had right. that good experience. I'm not going to take that from you, but right. I also understand that some people had a very negative experience, and I can't take that from them either. So. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like I mean I like Laurel's approach. I'm not a religious person. I don't really believe in God, um, or right. at least I, I question really strength really strongly um but you know that you know 
God really is outside the church if he's around at all, you know, so, you know, that building yeah. means nothing. And those people, I think, undermine God. <laughs> Do you guys remember that movie from the 90s, Stigmata? Yes. Patricia yeah. Arquette. Yeah. And Gabriel That Byrne. is an amazing. Yeah. Yes. That's an amazing movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's enormously 90s. So if you're feeling nostalgic for the era, you should watch that specifically. But that very much deals with that idea that the the kingdom of God is outside. It's not inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great example because I, I loved how part of it was like, oh, oh, you're not Catholic. Oh, well, then it can't be stigmatized. It's like, really? You think? Okay. Right. What a weird rule. <laughs> A very specific rule. So much of uh, Catholicism especially is very bizarre with the rules and how um, ever-changing they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you it's used like- to have to have to pay them money to get out of limbo, you know, and that they don't really do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anymore now what they do is they change the rules based on what works for them. Right. <laughs> yeah it's a very weird any kind of system like that where you yeah. can ob- very obviously see the corruption that existed in it but it's not acknowledged <laughs> then yeah. you have to kind of question that uh, virtually any organization that is run by men you just described <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> men named john are just yeah. really doing it for us <laughs> Uh, anyway, did you want to talk about anything else before we start winding this up tonight, Jessica? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I probably should want something, but I feel like we've touched on so much. No, I I feel good. (laughs) Yeah, we like to keep it random and kind of like sitting at the bar, sort of. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, I cannot wait to do again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we get great information you were a great guest and um everybody who's listening to this and even everybody who's not uh buy antioch when you can and read that fucker it's brilliant uh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much for coming on and talking to us and we'll we'll get working on that kentucky chapter of the hwa yes that would be perfect yeah. yes I when COVID's over, we can have our own fun meetings. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love that. <laughs> oh, and all the bourbon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky gets such a bad rap, but we have all the best things exactly. here. Exactly. We do. Yeah. We do. <laughs> Beautiful so, yeah. country. Um, I bet it is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thank you for being here, Jessica. We will have you back on as soon as we possibly can uh oh, rich anything <laughs> no just uh to reiterate what you guys said thanks for coming on and uh yeah you're welcome anytime it was a lot of fun so. thank you very much mm-hmm. you guys yeah. have been great yeah. uh and you have too man it's been amazing i've learned other new thing every every episode we do we learn new stuff and you are no exception um and like we've all said hope to talk to you again thank you jessica all right thank you 
Thank you. Anna, Antioch, everybody, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Have a good night. Stop, face the dog!